Genesis chapter 39 takes us right into the start of the story of this young man named Joseph. You may not be familiar with this story. He's a young man who had ten older brothers who hated him. Maybe that hits close to home. They hated him because he was the father's favorite, and so they hated him so much they decided to kill him. But when they decided they could make profit off of their hatred, they sold him to some traders, and he was sent down to Egypt, purchased as a slave to the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. And it seemed like life for this young man, 17 years old, was destined for failure. But things turned around. Genesis 39, even as a slave in this master's house, it says in verse 3, His master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer of his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It's clear and evident that Joseph didn't travel to Egypt alone. The Lord was with him and was blessing all that he had done. And it seems like, perhaps for the first time in Joseph's story, that things are turning around. His job is going well. He's getting favor with his master, but that's always in the story. When things start to turn around and look good, that's when you need to look behind your shoulder because that's often when trouble starts arising. And so in verse 6 of our context, it says, He left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, now it came about that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And then after these events, his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Now it happened on one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, He has brought a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until her master, his master, came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you uh, brought to us came in to me to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside." It's evident that Joseph didn't travel to Egypt alone. God was was with Joseph. But Satan was with Joseph in the midst of this trying time. Satan, as described by Peter as the roaring lion, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, the roaring lion who seeks to devour, to capture, to consume the soul. There's a lot we don't know about what took place when Joseph was a slave in the house of Potiphar, but God, through the Holy Spirit, saw fit to record this story. This is an important story. This is a story that if we would pay attention, pay close attention, could help us to overcome and claim victory 
over battles you and I face on a daily occurrence. It kind of starts with understanding Satan's role in all of this. Satan's attack against Joseph. Notice the deceitful, cunning plan of Satan against this young man. It starts with the fact that he's young from home in verse, he's far from home in verse 6. And Joseph is far from home. All the ways that Satan takes advantage. And so, he's far from home, meaning that mom and dad are not present. He's not going to have the godly influence of godly parents to say, you know, there's some things you shouldn't do. There's some people you shouldn't talk to. There's some things that you shouldn't engage in. He didn't have mom and dad. He also, being far from home, would have easily, could have easily fallen into the trap. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Egypt stays in Egypt because no one's going to know. No one knows what I'm going to do. No one knows who I'm going to talk to. And so he's far from any kind of accountability for a godly influence. There's also the fact that Joseph ooh, here we go, is young and handsome. Is young and handsome. We're going to go without it. He's young and handsome. It's rare that the scripture tells us about the appearance of certain people. We wonder how they looked, but every now and then the Holy Spirit will tell us about how someone looks. One, he's young, which means this. If we look at Joseph and think that he's a spiritual superhero, and the things of youth that often plague youth, that often are a challenge to young people, didn't apply to him, that's, we're not reading that correctly. He's a young man. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 says, flee youthful lust because there are some temptations that are stronger when you're young. And so here is Joseph, and he is young. He is a young man with passions and urges, and so he is one who's facing a great temptation. And then you add on top of that that the Holy Spirit reveals he's handsome. Had the text simply said he is young and he had a nice personality, some of you have been told that before. <laughs> He's young, and he fell down the ugly tree and had every branch along the way. We wouldn't really have this story. Satan likes to use our blessings against us. And so he will use our wealth to distract us and our jobs to fill us with pride. He will use our intellect to think we're smarter than others. And he will use our beauty, our form and appearance, to attract the wrong kind of attention in our life. He's young He's handsome, he's far from home, and she's pursuing him. It's not that he's pursuing her. She's coming after him, and she's saying all the right things because this is the master's wife. This is a woman who has the, the, the freedom, the power to change his life completely, and she is literally throwing herself at this young man. I mean, what man with any kind of pride would not see the danger in a woman who offers herself completely to him and the thing is, it's not like this happened once. And that would have been hard enough for a woman to offer herself and throw herself at him from this position with this temptation. But in verse 10, it says this happened day after day. Have we connected that with Joseph's story? That this wasn't a one-time issue. That day after day after day, this young man had to make the same decision and the same commitment and the same choice as she had this same offer day after day. Let's at least appreciate what it is that we are seeing from this side of the story. Satan is good at what he does. Satan knows us, and he knows how to win the battle over our souls. Paul would use the language in talking about our anger this way. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And look, do not give the devil an opportunity. 
To the best of our ability, with our understanding of our weaknesses and our choices, Paul is saying, don't give Satan a blank check with your heart, with your mind, because he will take full advantage of it. And at times that we are weak and vulnerable, as Joseph was, he strikes. When our marriages are on the fringe, he will bring in someone who's listening and understanding, who's kind, who wants to spend time with me. When I'm really angry and I'm bothered, he will make sure that the George Bush is shut down and I'm there for three hours and no one's moving. When I'm wrestling with certain urges, it'll be the ads that pop up on social media right in the moment for me to click. At least let's appreciate this. No matter how bad things got for Joseph, he never used bad situations to justify sinful behavior. We mentioned this last week. Let's get there again. Joseph didn't allow bad situations to justify sinful behavior, and neither can we. So my mate is not listening to me. My mate has not given me the time of day. There's no romance, no affection. That's not a justification to go looking anywhere else. That's not a justification to be talking to or spending time alone with someone who I'm not married to. Well, but my brother had said something to me, and they were rude and demeaning. Maybe so, but that's not a justification to act rude in response, to gossip, to slander another. Well, I'm all alone, and and I moved to this town, and I have no friends, and no one wants to spend time with me, and I'm trying to fit in. Well, there's no justification then to start doing things that God has said not to do, to start drinking or vaping or engaging in behavior that I know is not consistent with God's will. Bad circumstances are not a justification for sinful behavior. Satan set the table. But here's the thing. This same story is played out again and again and again in Scripture. And oftentimes, it's met with people who failed because David failed at this story. Samson failed in this scenario, but Joseph didn't. And the Holy Spirit reveals why it is that Joseph was successful. His response is all laid out here in this context, and you notice it starts in verse 8, 9, and 10. Notice what it is, that the Spirit reveals through Joseph's heart what it is he says that helped him to win the battle. First of all, you see he's thinking about God. I cannot do this great evil against my God. Oh, brethren, if we could just get here and get this. His first thought in the midst of conflict is, what would this do to my God? What would this action, what would this thought, what would this behavior do to my relationship with my God? Oftentimes, that's the last thing we think about. Imagine. Imagine if we lived, Colossians 3, 17, day by day. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, as this thought is entering into my mind, you know, is this, is this really something that a child of God would be thinking about? Is this a thought that Jesus would be pleased with? This anger, this lust, this jealousy? Before I hit type on, on social media and I hit post, is, is this really something that would bring honor and glory to Jesus, to King Jesus? Before I act, before I speak, before I think, he's thinking about his God. Or maybe it's the language of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 35, that whether I eat or I drink, do all to the glory of God. And we think, that sounds strange. Going out today to barbecue, I'm going to eat to the glory of God? Well, Am I eating with thankfulness? Am I eating with gratitude? Am I conducting myself in holiness and righteousness? Or am I behaving like a fool from the world? He's thinking about his God. 
you notice he's also thinking about his neighbor. Verse 8, he says, My master has not withheld anything from me except you, because you, in verse 9, are his wife. I cannot do this one because it will, what it will do to my relationship with my God, and I'm not sacrificing or compromising that for anything. But then secondly, you're married to someone, and I'm not doing this to him, to him. Romans 13 and verse 10 says this, love does no wrong to a neighbor, which means I'm not going to pressure someone to sin, and I'm not going to partner with someone in sin. Someone says, you know, if, if you really were my friend, then you would let me look at your homework. Let me cheat on the test. I mean, you're friends, right? We're friends. If we're really friends, you're going to let me do that. That's not a real friend. If you're really one of us and you're really one of the gang, all of us after work are going to be heading down to the bar. If you really loved me, I know you talked about mom and dads and boundaries on dating, but if you really loved me, we love each other, don't we? If we really loved me, if you really loved me, then we just go all the way. Didn't we hear that in the story of Samson? If you really loved me, that's not love. That's not love. That's lust. Love does no wrong to a neighbor which means I will not pressure someone to sin, to violate their conscience or to violate God's law, but neither will I partner with someone in sin. How could I do this knowing you are his wife? He's also thinking about his moral values. Did you just hear how he described this act? It's not that he said this is the wrong thing to do. He says, how can I do, notice, this great evil, great evil, now, we know Joseph's story, and he had a messed up home from beginning to end. Sister, wives, jealous brothers, all sorts of conflicts going on in that home. But here's one thing, and moms and dads literally see this from the story. Because in all the times we wonder, is this making a difference? All these Bible classes, all these home devos, all this Bible reading, is it making a difference? I'll tell you what, when Joseph is far from home without mom and dad, without the scripture open before him, he was able to pull out of his heart a truth which defended him in that moment. That to sleep with another man's wife is not just a bad idea, it's a great evil. Psalm 119 and verse 10 says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How do we defend our children when they go off to college and they have to make these choices on their own that I'm writing that word on their heart? That's why we're in the word of God now. That's why with our infants and our two and three-year-olds and our toddlers and our young people, we're getting the word of God and the rhythm of the word of God in their life because when they need it the most, that truth is right here on their heart. Joseph without an open Bible, Joseph without mom and dad was able to say, this is a great evil. I've been taught that, and I know it, and I'm not going forward because I know better than this. And you see, he was concerned about his purity because when push came to shove, quite literally, he left his coat and he ran. He's more concerned about his integrity. He's more concerned about the purity of his heart and his life than he was the situation. And the awkwardness of a situation of running and fleeing as far, from he come, as far as he could. 
in our minds, we might think real spiritual strength is standing in the face of the battle and saying, I can get as close as I want to, but I'm not crossing that line because I'm strong and I'm mature. And that's the wisdom of the world. That's foolishness. Because God's wisdom doesn't say, you know, get as close as you can, but prove that you're not going to cross the line. You're a spiritual giant. No, you're a fool. Because Paul says, it's not that you get as close as you can without crossing over. Get, get as close to that line. Flee youthful lust. We're like, like right next to it, though? Like real close? Flee? Pursue love, faith, and purity with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I can watch it. I can watch the movie without giving in to lust. I can talk to this person. I can be alone with them because I know, I know the line. I know how far it is I can cross over. Flee youthful lust and pursue and everything I say and think and do, I am pursuing through every action a life closer to God. Can, can you, we see the story? The whole scene, this whole story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife is summed up in six words. Six words make this story. Lie with me. But he refused. The temptation and the response of a child of God. The offer and the answer. She said, lie with me. And he said, no. You know what that is? We need it desperately. It's self-control. A person who is in complete control of their will and their impulses, and their desires, even in the midst of a threatening situation. Do you know why we need this? Because self-control is a lot more than just sexually related, as it was here in, in his story. Do you know what a lack of self-control looks like today? For a lot of people, it looks a lot like this. Outbursting anger is what Scripture calls it. I mean, you mentioned the subject, whatever it is. For some, it is traffic at Monday morning on the bush. For some... It's politics. Oh, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started on that. For some, it's all the hot topic scriptural issues, right? And you can mention them all. Marriage, divorce, remarriage, authority, instrumental music. Oh, don't, don't even get me started. And it explodes out of the person. There are some children who fear mom and dad, not out of a kind and loving respect, but because they don't want the Hulk to come out at home, shouting and screaming and stammering. And for some, that's us. That's us. For some people... It's just really easy today. That it used to be the swipe of the card, and now if I touch like three buttons on an iPad or an iPhone, it'll be at my door before I'm done preaching today. I'm not gonna preach that long, but it's done. Right, Amazon, I can buy and I can buy and I can buy and then I can get more and more credit cards and there are people today who are under, a mountain doesn't even describe it, Mount St. Helens of debt because they just can't say no. They have no control over their spending or over their habits. For some, it just happens because chips never come in a bag of one, donuts come in 12, and it's late, and I'm hungry, and I'm hungry, and the inability with our food to say no is but another glimpse of a lack of any control. The reason the story of Joseph hits so close to home, though, Because it's our story. 
numbers are saying anything accurately, and I believe them to be so, having experience with this. 90% of our men, our men, our men, have and maybe are struggling with pornography. And 40 to 50% of our sisters are struggling with it right now. It is a plague among the people of God that is devastating hearts and homes and marriages. It all goes back to this same principle. Self-control. Maybe a lot of ways we could define it, but self-control quite simply defined as this. It's the inward strength to say yes when you want to say no. And to say no when you want to say yes. That's self-control. The inward strength to say yes when you want to say no and no when you want to say yes. Work it backwards with me. Self-control is saying no when you want to say yes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 that I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be under the control, dominated by anything. Not any person. Not any substance. Not any video or outlet. The only master I will have in this life is Jesus and King Jesus alone. And so even though I want it, I really want it, and I have the desire for it, the only thing that will have control in my life is the Lord. Now, look at what this looks like. All sorts of avenues and flows of this kind of control. Think of it this way. Psalm 39, verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Now think of this. I have the ability to say what needs to be said. Oh, I can do it. I know what words to say, all caps online, I can do it. I have the desire because they've been asking for it for a long time. Or I got that news, that really juicy news. And knowledge is power, and I want people to see how in the know I am. And so I have the desire, and I have the ability, I know how to do it, and I have the opportunity, because I can do it anywhere on social media or my phone at any time. I want to say yes, but I'm choosing to say no. No. That if I don't know this to be true... If I don't know this about a person, if it's true or not, it's not exiting my lips. Gossip is a sin, brethren, and it will destroy this church apart. And so if I don't know it to be true, oh, I really want it, though. I want to say it, and I want to spread it, and I want to talk about it. No. Because isn't that this story? Flee from youthful lust. But I want it. I want the gratification. I want that pleasure. I just want to look at the video. I just want to talk with that person. I know where to draw the line. And so I want it. I have the ability, in fact, I have the opportunity, but I'm saying no. The picture is this. Oh. <laughs> it's a straitjacket. There's no secret here. It's the inward strength that even though I want to say yes, I say no. I probably shouldn't be repeating this, so I won't. probably shouldn't be visiting these websites and looking at this kind of stuff. So I won't. I won't. 
I really shouldn't be alone with this person. Do you notice that in Genesis 39? That the day of the great event was described as the men leaving the house and he alone with her. There is never a time when we should be alone with someone of the opposite sex unless it is my mother or my grandmother. Never. I shouldn't be alone with this person, so I won't. I won't. I probably shouldn't post this, so I won't. I probably shouldn't be saying this about this person, so I won't. They said not to share this, so I won't. Do you hear it? That is as simple as it gets. It's the inward strength to say there's some things I know as a child of God I can't do and be in a right relationship with God, and so I won't. I want to. Oh, I really want to. And I have the opportunity, and I have the ability. I could do it really well, but I won't. I won't. How many of us struggle with this? The inability to tell ourselves no, because we really want to say yes. Now, the equal difficult part to all of this is saying yes when we want to say no. Aaron took us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today, and they're with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. When the Apostle Paul describes his pursuit of Christ as race and running a race, he says, Do you not know that all those who run a race all run, in verse 24, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating air. I discipline my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified." Why is it? Even on the morning like today, at 6 a.m., there were some people that when the alarm went off at 6, they were out and they were running on the street and no one was chasing them. Like, why, why are they doing that? I'll share with you a secret that when the alarm goes off for said people at 6 a.m., they're not saying, yes, I can't wait to go run. They're saying, no, no, I want to stay in bed, especially on the morning like this. It's raining and I'm tired. They want to say no, but they say yes, because they know it's good to run. It's good to exercise. Why is it some people are doing well financially and others are not? Well, they want to say no to saving. They want to say no to budgets and have a lot of fun. But they say yes, yes to discipline, yes to budgets, yes to living within their means. Same thing for some who finish degrees. Same thing for those who work and work with integrity and climb up their, that ladder through their hard work. This is where we get to us today. Aaron was really good about being vulnerable, and I think a lot of us could appreciate where it was he said he was, because I think a lot of us are there. I don't really want to read my Bible. I want to say no, because there's a lot more things that are more appealing, but I'm going to say yes, because I need to be in the Word of God. I'm home from work, and I'm exhausted, and I, I don't really feel like being a dad and playing with the kids. They have electronics. They can go play video games, and they can be on TV. But I'm going to say no to being lazy, and I'm going to say yes to turning off those devices and being a dad and getting on the, and on the floor and playing with my kids and enjoying quality time with my kids. And when it's time for dinner, I mean, it's, it's just too exhausting to talk. I mean, things are going on in their life. Let's just watch a show as a family. 
or you just take your meals to your own rooms and do your thing, that, that's really easy. And so we're going to say yes to all devices off, and we're around the table, and we're just going to talk and be in each other's lives. Brethren, we're going to say yes to home devos and reading the Bible together as a family. That's hard, but we're going to say yes to hard things. We're going to say yes to praying together as spouses and as families. We're going to say yes to worship every time the saints are, are available and I have the opportunity and ability to be here. I'm going to say yes. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But you know what? It's just too easy to say no and there's some things I've got to say yes to. I'm going to say yes to owning up to my mistakes and apologizing when I'm in the wrong. Saying no is far too easy. Saying no is saying, well, other, everyone makes mistakes and it's not my fault, but I'm going to claim it. I'm going to be honest and say yes when I've stumbled and ask for forgiveness and grace along the way. I'm going to say yes to taking accountability for my actions and my choices and my life when I really want to just say no. It's just as hard sometimes to say yes, and I really want to say no, as it is sometimes to say no when I want to say yes. For all of our hunters, there's this little critter called the ermine who lives in the country lands in Europe. What's unique about this animal is its precious white coat. It's hard to catch. It's really fast. But what hunters have identified is that when this critter leaves its hole, if they lay down a layer of tar and pitch at the base of the hole and then chase that critter around, inside by God's design as a protective mechanism that it will not do anything to stain or taint its white coat. And so when it comes back to its hole and it sees the, t- the, the, par, or the tar in a pitch, it will stop dead in its, in its tracks and face its captors and is easily caught. To the ermine, purity is more important than life. Self-control does not come naturally. Purity is not something we stumble into. John wrote, brethren, Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What's John saying? If we want to be like Jesus when he comes again, then we better be like Jesus here and now. If I want to be transformed into the image of Jesus when he returns, then day by day we need to be working on our hearts and our minds and our attitudes to imitate and mirror him today. We're walking this off the page right here. For some of us, it means this week I've got to say no. There are some things I've allowed in my life, in my habits, through Satan and his twisted influence that I've just been saying yes again and again and again to, and it's time for me to say no. And it could be I need some help. Then I need some help from the brethren, especially our eight shepherds, that I'm ready to share some struggles with brothers, to share some weaknesses that we've been facing, and to get some help and some prayers to say no to the things that are taking us far from God. It could be as we're walking this off the page, brethren, that it's time for us to finally start saying yes to things we've been putting off. Yes to personal accountability. Yes to walking with Jesus at home. Yes to being in our Bible. Or even today, maybe I've put off that grand decision of leaving sin behind and becoming a child of God. I've been waiting, and I've been waiting, and I've been waiting. 
And I've been putting it off thinking maybe another day, maybe another Sunday, and today it's time to say yes. Yes to leaving sin. Yes to confessing Jesus as Lord. Yes to being baptized and adopted into his family. Don't say no. Don't, don't wait. Say yes. We are here for this time, brethren. There's nothing more important than what we're here for right now. We're worshiping God, and we're reminding each other through his truth how we can be closer to him. And so if you are ready today to get some help, to find some prayers and some encouragement to walk right and close with your God, then we invite you to come right now as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.